You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. And just as a warning, these films might be in theaters now, or they may be from 10, 20, 30 years ago. But regardless, there's a strong possibility that I will be revealing spoilers. I might give away the plot or the ending in this review, so just be warned. The movie is The Tragedy of Macbeth, which came out in 2021 and was directed by Joel Cohen. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. My husband. King that shall be. We should fail. We fail. Didst thou not hear a noise? He thought I heard a voice cry, sleep no more. It stars Denzel Washington, Francis McDormand, Corey Hawkins, Brendan Gleeson, Alex Hassel, Bertie Carvel, Matt Helm, and Catherine Hunter. The genre would be Shakespearean drama. Now, it would almost be too easy to refer to this as a big screen Cliff Notes version of one of Shakespeare's most celebrated plays. It's relatively short at around 100 minutes but actually is only marginally shorter than most other film adaptations of this play, except for the 140-minute Orson Welles one from the 40s. Having previously seen maybe one and a half previous versions of the Macbeth play combined, I saw all the one with Michael Fassbender from a few years ago, and half the one that Polanski directed in the 70s, my reference points aren't very strong, as it was just never a story I had much of a grasp on. And with much of the action revolving around our main protagonist's efforts to craftily murder a monarch in order to acquire power, there are definitely scenes that I've always kind of mixed up between this, Hamlet, and Richard III. I'm just not a scholar of Shakespeare. But one thing that I just could not shake watching this latest version is how damn raw it feels. Spare and raw. Minimal sets, small cast, starkly lit black and white, sparse costumes too. I mean, seriously, the actual crown for the King of Scotland is barely even a crown. It's more like a giant anklet made of gold. Now, I've heard some complaints from others about the dialogue being hard to decipher at times, that everyone is speaking an iambic pentameter would be challenging enough. But the sound mix also does seem to put as much emphasis on the Foley work and the score as the dialogue. Now, while that did seem to be the case at times, this is not a situation like Tenet, which came out a couple years ago. When an important character is saying something important, you hear it, and you feel it. The booming sound design actually helps more than actually hinders it. Now lie, aboard tyrant. My sword, I'll prove the lie thou speakst. Thou wast born a woman? Now, Denzel brings the heat as expected. 
He comes off as both imposing and even a bit mischievous at times. He plays Macbeth with more sly smiles to the side than any other portrayal that I could recall. He delivers the Shakespeare with confidence, sometimes even underplaying it as he seems to modulate his typical booming baritone voice. And all our yesterdays have lighted fools the way to dusty death. Out. Out we've candle. Life is but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more. It is a tale told by an idiot. Full of sound and fury signifying nothing. I can't say that I found his Macbeth to be a particularly sympathetic protagonist, but I gather that's the point. As is the case with McDormand's Lady Macbeth. She plays her with quiet relish. Now, I've seen other actresses just devour the scenery with this part. And as someone who was not a fan of McDormand's recent Oscar-winning Sassfest performance in Three Billboards from a few years ago, I was grateful that she did not go that route this time around. Everything she says has a purpose, as does every knowing glance, but it works within this universe. Her exchanges with Denzel aren't as punchy as I would have expected, but they have a nice chemistry as fellow schemers in this story. The rest of the cast does great work too, with strong work from Corey Hawkins as our title character's fiercest rival, Macduff, to Brendan Gleeson playing Duncan, who was the sitting king of Scotland at the beginning of the story. Also very much stealing the movie during some early scenes is veteran stage actress Catherine Hunter as a witch, or the witches as they call them, contorting herself in all sorts of unnatural ways as she even utters the famous line, by the pricking of the thumbs, something wicked this way comes. Where thou? <sighs> Look what I have. Show me. Show me. Here I have a sailor's thumb, wrecked as homeward he did come. <sighs> a drum. A drum. Macbeth did come. Aye. In a sieve I'll do the sail. And like a rat without a tail, I'll do, I'll do, and I'll do. Also notable are Coen Brothers stalwart Stephen Root as the boisterously creepy porter. And wow, I got such a kick out of recognizing this guy. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Cobra from 1986 with Sylvester Stallone, but this guy plays the Night Slasher from Cobra. Big man Brian Thompson. You can't miss him. It was such a kick to see him show up here just playing, well, his character's called Murderer. So I guess he's well cast. This is apparently the first film that Joel Cohen has directed solo without his brother Ethan in decades. It has a slight level of quirkiness in line with previous Cohen Brothers films, but it's still its own thing in the end. Not as whimsical as most of their previous collaborations. Cohen and cinematographer Bruno Del Bonnell aren't going for anything whimsical with their interpretation of Shakespeare. They're going for something more sobering, filled with images contrasting shadow against light. The themes are direct, and if you're hoping for sort of a visual cliff notes of one of Shakespeare's most celebrated stories, it doesn't disappoint, while still leaving with a little something extra, thanks to all of the talent both behind and in front of the camera. It might even leave a lot of folks feeling cold, but it does its source material proud. And that brings us to the categories. The first category would be Best Needle Drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film. And props to previous Cohen's collaborator, Carter Burwell, for delivering for us the eerie, gothic score for Shakespeare 
that we always knew that he had in him. Filled with scraping violins, it's probably the least subtle aspect of the movie, but it punctuates every development perfectly. The theme we hear throughout the movie is called Burnham Wood. The next category would be Wasted Talent, the most underutilized talent involved with the film. I thought I would have some fun with this category. Did you know how many films have been adapted from plays written by William Shakespeare? More than 530, and that number's still growing. Do you know which plays have been adapted the most? At the very top is Hamlet, with more than 50. And next is Romeo and Juliet, and then third is Macbeth. Now, can you guess which play has been adapted the least? Well, that would be Coriolanus, the brutal tale of revenge during wartime. It has always been considered one of the more challenging plays to adapt from the Bard. It's dense, violent, and one of the last plays written by him as well. Well, apparently it was only adapted twice for the big screen, and most recently was just over 10 years ago with a film of the same title, both starring and directed by Ray Fiennes. And, also starring in the title role, this was kind of a surprise to me, co-star of recent episode Law-Abiding Citizen, Scotland's own Gerard Butler. And check out that episode, by the way. And get this, it's actually pretty damn good. It's taken into a more modern action setting, and Sir Jerry, as I like to call him, is pretty damn good in it. So while it's genuinely hard to declare anything among his massive library of work to be wasted, let's not forget to show some love for some of the lesser-known Shakespeare adaptations. Check out Coriolanus. It's a kick-ass movie. And that brings me to the next category, which would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. The final standoff between Denzel's Macbeth and Corey Hawkins' Macduff is definitely a highlight. Swords are drawn, and it's a relatively short sequence, but very well choreographed and beautifully shot. I have avoided thee, but get thee back. My soul is too much charged with blood of thine already. I have no words. My voice is in my sword. And that brings me to the final category. That would be the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Thanks to some stellar work by production designer Stéphane Deschamps, who did Avatar and Minority Report, the sets and lighting almost have a retro-futuristic vibe out of 70 sci-fi, as if Joel Cohen was bringing Shakespeare to THX 138, and I quite dug that. And at the end of the day, what makes this work best as an adaptation is the visual storytelling. Even though the direction is strong, the performances are on point, really everyone is doing the job they were hired to do, the starkness of what we're seeing really sells it as well as anything. It is the most unique and effective aspect of this particular adaptation of a play, which has already been brought to the screen at least several dozen times. Deschamps himself has certainly made his mark since 2000, delivering strong production design for several big directors, from Spielberg to Cameron to Robert Zemeckis. 
It was always part of the conversation to have the hand of the artist in there. You're kind of creating sets and environments that kind of, that hold the performances that that are being captured on film. When I talk about the sets getting carved out of light and shadow, really that's what they are. You, they're, they're not designed as sets to be kind of lit in a naturalistic way. They're lit in a stylistic way and that they create their own architecture in terms of how that shadow is placed. And well, looking at the filmography of the cinematographer Del Bunnell, he seems to collaborate the most and the best with some very distinctive visual filmmakers, including the Coen brothers, Julie Taymor, Tim Burton, and Jean-Pierre Jeannette. That tells me, if nothing else, that this dude is pretty fearless. And if you look back over the past 20-plus years, both the director of photography and the production designer have helped bring us visual delights in such a wide variety of films, from Amelie to Avatar. And the starkness of what we're seeing is genuinely the most effective aspect of this film. Therefore, I anoint the cinematographer Bruno Delbonel and the production designer Stéphane Deschamps as co-MVPs. I would be shocked if both of them do not receive some love from the Academy this year. My rating for The Tragedy of Macbeth would be four stars out of five. This might not be the easiest watch for some, but it's certainly an unforgettable watch. Starring our greatest living actor, directed by one of our great directors, and adapted by what many consider to be the greatest writer of all time, The Tragedy of Macbeth does not disappoint. By all means, watch it with the crispest picture and sound available. And if you're looking to watch The Tragedy of Macbeth, it's currently streaming on Apple+. And that ends another Imperious Review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Cinema.